Everyone has a story, and I believe that sharing your story has the power to connect people. I'm a working mom, wife, and seeker, and nothing lights me up and brings me more joy than having meaningful conversations. And one of the things I love to talk about is psychedelics. In December 2021, I experienced my first psychedelic journey with psilocybin. It was one of the most profound events in my life, and it opened me up to a deeper spiritual growth and helped me to heal. And now, talking to those who've experienced the therapeutic magic of psychedelics and hearing about their personal journey has become my passion. Mindful Trip is a safe space to have conversations that demystify and destigmatize the use of plant medicines. Conversations that allow us to have deeper connections with ourselves and others. I hope that sharing these intimate, funny, and inspiring stories helps you find the answers you're looking for. A wise friend said to me, all you can do is follow the threads and see where it takes you. So I hope you'll join me in unraveling the threads, staying open, and trusting the journey. This is Mindful Trip. Mindful Trip content and the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, guests, and contributors is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Consult with the medical provider or mental health care professional about your health-related questions. Mindful Trip does not encourage illegal activity, including but not limited to the illegal sale, purchase, or use of controlled substances. Hi, and thanks for joining Today, my guest Chris Rodman opens up about his 5-MEO journey and shares what it's really like to experience oneness and paradise. Chris Rodman is a devoted ceremonialist and soul coach holding space for self-discovery through the wisdom of the plants. He's the founder of Rise and Shine, Adventures in Awakening, and his work uses the transmutational light of awareness to transform limiting beliefs and stuck energy shifting them into empowered clarity and purpose. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. I'd also love to hear what resonates for you, so send me your comments. Hey, man. How are you? I am. I'm doing very well, thanks. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. It's nice to see you. Yeah, likewise. Really honored and delighted to be on the show. Oh, I'm really excited to have you on as well. I'm really curious to hear some of the stories that you're going to share about your psychedelic therapeutic journeys. So let's start off. Share with me what I need to know about you to understand why you decided to explore using psychedelics for therapeutic use. Sure. Well, I was born in Vancouver, raised fairly Catholic. At the end of elementary school, my parents moved to the Kootenays, uh, this little town called Nelson, beautiful little slice of paradise. And I could say more about Nelson, but essentially, I think I wasn't finding the the communion with the divine that I was being indoctrinated into. And so this progressive little town kind of founded by draft dodgers ended up kind of introducing me to marijuana and I had some recreational experiences with mushrooms and I think those proved to be very horizon broadening and kind of increased my scope of what is possible. 
in the mystery. And I also sort of turned to science as well and was affirming a lot of the various spiritual principles I had been brought up with through the sort of farthest reaches of science at the time. And that was like looking at quantum mechanics and chaos theory, uh, the idea of like fractal geometry and strange attractors and sensitivity to initial conditions and all that kind of thing. And when I finished high school, I decided that if I was going to study anything, it would be great to study the human body. I had a very athletic upbringing and we spent a lot of time in nature, which I really have a lot of appreciation for that being a part of my upbringing. So I decided to study kinesiology. I've got a body we've all got these things. They're going to be with us for this whole journey here. And I thought how wonderful it would be to learn about maximizing its potential. So I went on to study kinesiology. I also discovered Paul Cech, who's a holistic health practitioner. And I did some studies with him, uh, his holistic lifestyle coaching course and uh, practitioner one. And that was really uh, beautiful material. Paul also introduced me to Paramahansa Yogananda, which really also broadened my scope for the spiritual domain and, and what was possible in, in the realm of human potential. And so I think in my aspirations to be of highest service, psychedelics came into the picture and also meditation. I discovered Vipassana while I was studying at university and the first 10-day uh, silent course that I sat was a real game changer for me in terms of developing awareness and learning about the causes of suffering, not as a concept, but how it's experienced within the body and right. in holding presence for that. Therefore, kind of finding the orchestrations of nature that are operating our physiology and all of the cosmos and this beautiful earth that we live on. So then what was the catalyst as you're delving into this meditation practice and really starting the spiritual exploration? for you to start to explore using psychedelics more for therapeutic purposes rather than recreational? So in my last year of university in 2010, <clears throat> ayahuasca was kind of showing up on my radar through my internet pursuits. And it's a bit of a story here, but I think I'll say a long story short. I ended up sitting in a ceremony with the Santo Daimi and it was two days. They drink during the day. And that was such a profound experience that it inspired me to make a trip to South America. I knew I was going to South America after that uh, encounter. Mm -hmm. And I was also working as a wildfire crew leader throughout my university years. And I continued to do so after university, but I had a really good wildfire season when I finished university and made my way down to South America. I started the trip in Ecuador. I was dangerously keen about exploring the medicine further and I've got some good stories about what not to do. And fortunately, I came through humbled and educated about how not to approach the work. Mm. But also before I left, I had a really serendipitous and excellent reference from a friend in Nelson to go and check out Diego Palma in the Sacred Valley, just outside of Cusco, a little town called Pizac. And so after spending some time in Ecuador, I realized I wanted to get a motorcycle and I found one in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So I flew there, picked up this bike. It was a KLR650, beautiful, beautiful machine. And over the next four and a half months, I made my way from Buenos Aires back to Ecuador. Oh, wow. But midway along that trip, I stopped in Pizac and I met up with Diego and was sitting more or less every other day for a month straight there while I was there and sitting with him and some of the other facilitators had come out from his swing. I sat with some Shapipo maestros and maestras and worked with Wachuma as well and went through a whole lot of healing and growth and, and transformation. And uh, it was a potent and, and powerful time in my life. I was 27 at the time, 
39 now. Some say that's like the Saturn return. So it seemed to fit the bill that I was going through all of this at, at that point in time. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if you can share maybe one of the journeys early on that you said really helped you to heal and grow. Could you share one of those experiences with ayahuasca? Yeah, absolutely. So it was the last ceremony that I sat before I ended up leaving Pizak and continuing on the journey. And it was during the day, it was a small group of us in the Sacred Valley, a beautiful setting. And I went real deep and got into this really profound catharsis in a very surrendered state. I was purging like a bear. I ended up getting dubbed Teddy Bear after that ceremony. But facilitator... He came in and was like rolling some tobacco and singing some songs, helping me to kind of come back into my center. And mm-hmm. at one point he's playing this song and all of a sudden my voice just it felt like it wasn't even me. And we were singing together and it was so beautiful. And I really felt like I was being shown this gift that was there. Mm. And it was funny when I first got to Pizak and I met up with Diego I asked him right away after the first ceremony, I was like, do you take apprentices or da 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 da? And he goes, well, can you sing? Do you play any instruments? I was like, ah, no. (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? And over the month, I came to realize just how integral it is to how the way these ceremonies are orchestrated by the Icaros and uh, the medicine Mm -hmm. songs. And so I felt really blessed to have made this discovery and been shown this gift that was there of of Mm -hmm. my voice and that there was some capacity there. So over the years, as I continued um, exploring the work and deepening my relationship with with myself through the the support of the plants, Mm. um, I I picked up a guitar and uh, now just recently I've I've opened up the doors and and I'm facilitating. But yeah, that was a profound kind of turning point. So while you were in the experience, there was a lot of purging to heal and release, but then it was a combination of that and also kind of spiritual mystical experience at the same time. What were some of the things that were coming through for you? Were there things from your childhood or from your past experiences that were coming through that that clearly needed to be released and healed? I think I got some really unique levels of appreciation for some of the stories in the Bible. You know, my upbringing, it started to, rather than having that dogmatic orientation, there was like this really living sort of understanding coming through there. And I consider myself a Sufi and that whole tradition is around the, the unification of religious ideals and really honoring and recognizing the rays of truth that shine through all the traditions. And one of the big primary points of fuel for me in all of this is the question, who am I? And the journey of awakening and coming into a real moment-to-moment lived connection with the truth of being. And it's an ongoing journey, the hero's journey for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Joseph Campbell said it best, the hero's journey. That's what each of us are experiencing in this human form, <laughs> in this three-dimensional reality, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after this, obviously, you've done ayahuasca numerous times. Was there maybe one journey that you can share that really had a profound impact on your life? Because a lot of people that I've spoken with, sometimes they can pinpoint one experience that really was life-changing for them. 
out of all the other journeys that they've had. So I'm just curious if there was one for you that you really felt like it shifted a lot of the things that you had thought about, whether it was based in the religious upbringing that you had, or just as you were coming into your own as an adult, that started to shift your whole view of the world and your place in it. Hmm. So, so many, but one that does stick out. Seven years ago, I started sitting uh, dietas down in the Amazon. So meeting ayahuasca kind of in her turf. Sorry, Chris, before you go Mm -hmm. further, explain what is a dieta just for somebody who is not familiar with some of the terminology. For sure. Well, so there's about 75 different indigenous cultures across the whole Amazon basin that uh, make use of of this medicine. And I think each of them have varying qualities of, of how a dieta looks. But I think the overarching theme essentially is that it's traditionally making a space of really intensive immersion into the work of awakening and relating with the plants and bringing in the support of, of a whole multitude of different plants, spirits. It's a whole pharmacy down there of various master teacher plants. And so essentially it's you're eating rice and potatoes, no salt, no sex, no sugar. Yeah. No sugar, no soap where we go, no toothpaste, none of your usual sort of creature comforts. And where we go, you're in a tombow. You got a little commode out in the woods. We're here using the washroom. You got a bucket that you're bathing with from the river and you get brought these leaves. They're called Wayusa. You scrunch those up and wash yourself. So you're really getting into the elements. And there's also a component of solitude where you're very much on your own and then dieting different plants from the jungle while also doing ceremonies every other night. Mm -hmm. And when I met up with Diego and a lot of the folks in that tribe, so to speak, would make reference to this character, Don Jose Campos. And so Mm -hmm. seven years ago, I went and sat with him and he's in the mestizo tradition of the ayahuasca work. Oh, this place in the jungle is just glorious. It's really become a second home. And it's funny, while I was going through this dieta, I had this impression that like I was in a job interview and, and I knew where this path was ultimately unfolding. I, I exercised a lot of patience and discernment and respect in terms of any of the ideas that I had about facilitating this work. I really wanted to temper the exuberance of my ego, so to speak, and just really trust the process and be sure that when that moment came, it was really going to be an invitation from the spirits and the blessings of my, my mentors and teachers in the work. And so I had a solo journey in my tombow and it was profound and cathartic and just an experience of deep communion with divinity and the elements. And I was sitting in the river afterwards when things had settled down a bit. And I remember making this choice to really devote to what I love is that choice kind of sank in all of a sudden this wind came up the river and the trees started to rock back and forth and i was caressed by this breeze and it felt so much like a living affirmation from the elements Mm. that was one of my initial experiences of recognizing and realizing the conscious living essence that permeates all things and i've had many you would could call it miraculous experiences of the elements interacting in ceremony. And so in essence, the simple message was devote to what you love. And the job is just simply to be who you are. And that's what we're all doing. The career of our lifetimes is to be fully who we are. And um, 
let that love express itself in ways that are going to be unique to each of us. And for me, that's been dedicating to music and all the things. I mean, it's so interesting, right? Because it sounds so simple just to be fully who you are and to be fully present. It's in theory, it sounds so simple, but then to try and put it into daily practice, it's sometimes difficult. And I think that's where people, including myself, have struggled and have suffered along the way mm-hmm. and seek out different modalities to help us in terms of healing and processing and trying to move forward in a healthier way. For you, how has plant medicine shaped who you are now in terms of your life path and what you're doing? Are you still doing kinesiology or are you just fully in the plant medicine space? Well, you know, it's funny. I never actually got into the kinesiology. When I finished that degree, I kept doing the wildfire work and that was kind of paying the tuition for the ongoing immersion into the plant medicine world. And interestingly, though, also in my work with the plants, I do keep getting the the message that my mountain of knowledge in human physiology and nutrition and exercise yoga is a useful part to bring to the equation in terms of how I work as a coach. And because there's such a thing about coming into alignment and and that looks so many different ways, but a, a big part of it is alignment in the body and the whole structure holding us up and allowing the energies to move through and how are we breathing and how are we nourishing ourselves and where is our food coming from and all of these things holistically contribute to allowing us to be that clear vessel for our unique song however that looks whether it's singing or various forms of artistry or service or therapy to come through and being attuned to the moment plant medicines really for me they catalyze the journey of meditation in, in a really simple sense which so much of, of becoming who we are is unbecoming who we're not and unraveling all the conditioning, the stories, the limiting beliefs and letting that go and opening up to the, the new possibilities that are continuously available in, in every moment. So then during these ayahuasca journeys, were you getting clear messages as to what your higher purpose was in this particular lifetime? Was it clearly guiding you in the direction of working with plant medicines? Can you share some of the messages that you were getting as you were in some of these journeys from when you were 27 until now? Mm -hmm. How many ayahuasca journeys have you done? It's in the couple hundred range, must be somewhere in that range by now. And certainly I've also made the exploration with some of the other members of the entheogenic pantheon that sat with Iboga. Chuma is a regular part of our repertoire. MDMA has been profoundly useful. And then also one that is really dear to my heart as well is 5-MeO DMT. That came into my field six or seven years ago and really cherished the profundity of that sacrament. It really is kind of the crown jewel of the psychedelics to an extent, really gets straight to the point. And yeah, yeah in terms of the higher purpose, you know, for me, just staying humble and continuously attuned to my own impulse to awaken, to continue to be more and more fully who I am. And then through that, what is emerging simultaneously is like holding space for others to, you know, embark upon that same journey and to really recognize 
I'm only going to be able to bring others to the places that I've been myself. Although I'm facilitating and, and holding space and, and offering these experiences now, I preface our, our ceremonies. We're all sitting here as equals. Everyone's bringing their own medicine to this circle. I'm still learning too. It's so interesting because there's so many different types of plant medicines that you can explore to help you in this journey. Iboga is one that I've obviously heard of. And 5-MeO has really been kind of in my periphery for a while. I've just had several people talk about it. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what 5-MeO is and then maybe go into some detail about your experience with it? Sure. What is 5-MeO? Well, it's relatively new on the scene to the human awareness. And it has been kind of discovered through the Sonoran Desert Toad. The secretions from one of its glands are very high in 5-MeO-DMT. And I work with a synthetic version of it. And in ayahuasca, the active constituent, and one of the main active constituents is DMT. It's a variety called NN-DMT. And there's this thing called the indole ring. You know, psilocybin's got the same base structure. The serotonin molecule has the same base structure. LSD, the same base structure. And so 5-MeO, each of those molecules has a little different branch. And the 5-MeO for me is like taking a bath in the infinite truth of who you are. It's ultimately ineffable, but it's an experience of really pure being, of oneness, of full remembrance, complete awakening, samadhi, a, the, a moment of abiding and having this taste of paradise. And one becomes really indelibly impressed with the ultimate truth. <laughs> and, wow. Yeah, it's a that's tough a, one. That's a great little marketing tagline, right? It's like a taste of paradise. Totally. So, <laughs> but with 5-MeO, so how is it administered? Is it something that you ingest? Is it something that you inhale? How do you take it? Well, there's a few routes of administration. Some folks insufflate it. So up the nose, it can be intramuscularly administered. Is and it liquid? Is it powder? So I think when it's done intramuscularly, it's dissolved into some kind of a liquid form. I work with the powder. It's kind of like this sticky little substance. And I use a water pipe and a lighter. Some folks use a vaporizer. I think ultimately I'll be upgrading to that kind of route, but I prefer inhaling it that way. I have tried insufflation and that was interesting. I didn't like the way it burned in my nostrils, uh, but for some folks, that's the jam. And is it true that it only takes a short amount of time for you to start to feel the effects? Is it fairly quick versus ayahuasca or psilocybin, which could take about 20 to 30 minutes usually for it to start to have some of the effects? Yeah, it's pretty immediate. I have folks take three deep breaths and on the final exhale, mm. light breathe it in and then I'll have them count to 10 and lay back. And as soon as that breath goes out, it's like, whoa, going into it. And I remember the first time I had a couple of analogies for it, but it's, there's very much an initiation in it of like crossing the threshold. I remember the first time was like, oh my God, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dead. I'm dead. Oh wait, this is it. Ooh. This is who I am. Or, you know, like, whoa. <laughs> um, just being in the immensity of existence. It's difficult to integrate, but so beautiful. Did, did you experience ego death when you did 5-MeO? Is that I kind guess of 
explain it as ego death? How would you describe it, that experience that you had? Yeah, ego death. I suppose, I don't often use those words, but for sure it's ineffable, right? Any words that I attempt to use, these are only going to be pointers that are never going to do justice to what the experience is, you know, in itself. You really have to kind of go there, but. How did you feel in your body? Well, for me, when I'm in it, the body isn't even, it's like you're the essence of all things, the ocean of existence, like totality, singularity, like all that remains is the truth. And in the awakening journey, it's like burning away our illusions so that all that remains is the truth. And this does that for a brief moment in time. It's 15 minutes or so per round on average. And however, coming out of it, as you coalesce back into your form Mm. and the ego comes kind of back online, so to speak, I often analogize it to a a cold plunge Mm. where, you know, you're going into that cold water, it's going to be shocking. And yet most folks come out feeling really like revitalized and alive, like a very profound sense of aliveness from the cold plunge. And 5-MEO for me is a lot like that. There'll be increased range of motion in my body, feeling a lot more clarity, alignment, attunement, openness, reverence, gratitude, awe. Just recognizing the the sacredness of all of this is the impression that comes. So the experience usually lasts about 15 minutes. Once that 15 minutes dissipates, do they do another round immediately? Or do people just do that 15 minutes and then that's it? The protocol that I follow, which I think is the convention across the space is we'll offer up to three rounds and it's the three rounds aren't mandatory, but if the person is like, okay, I'm ready, let's take another dive then go for it. And also too, there's a progression of the first round is kind of like a handshake. You know, you're just getting a little accustomed to, to what's to come. And the second one might be considered like a warm embrace. And then the third can be what is considered the full release. And uh, What is the full release? What does that entail? What does that feel like? And what did you experience during that full release? Well, you know, much of what I've already described is the essence of that full release. Did you feel like you connected to source, energy, God? I think you said you felt like you just were connected to everything, mm-hmm. that you were the singularity. It's hard to even say that I was connected to everything because you recognize yourself as all things, as the infinite one. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing else but the one. That's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to just bask and be in the immensity of that and just continuous unfoldment, like perpetually. And also just being profoundly simple. The eternity is just the truth of what is. (laughs) This, This has no end. Can I ask you, because you've experienced ayahuasca, the iboga, and the 5-MeO, among other things, including MDMA, what are the subtle or vast differences between the ayahuasca experience versus iboga versus 5-MeO? Is it that with ayahuasca, it's grandmother ayahuasca, it's referred to as more of a divine feminine plant medicine. Mm-hmm. So are there subtle differences or stark differences between each of those three medicines and experiences? I I guess I'm curious, like during an ayahuasca experience, is it more that you're having a conversation with grandmother ayahuasca 
Mm-hmm. And then with 5-MeO, it's more just kind of experiencing this oneness in a sense without the dialogue that potentially happens with ayahuasca and maybe even iboga. I know there's obviously some dialogue as well because it's considered a masculine medicine. Correct me if I'm wrong with iboga. I think that would be fair to say. It also has, you know, from the its sort of origins of use was very much an initiatory type experience. I've only worked with it twice. The first time it was hard to put my finger on what really happened. And the second time I got a real ass kicking. I thought I knew something about purging, but that was like continuous and a whole new way of purging. There was definitely some phenomenal visionary elements to it. Very much felt like the tribe, the Buiti was there. We're listening to the harps and the twang and bring, diggy, bring, ding, bring, ding, bring, ding, bring, bring all night long. And I thought this is medicine is not for me as I was in it. And then when the day or so after, I remember having a shower and I came out and I just felt like steel. I felt like the strength of Africa. I felt really like, oh, good. Yeah. And at that point it was like, oh, maybe I'll end up in Africa someday. And pursue this further. I haven't got a solid calling for that yet. But anyways, all that to say my experience there is limited to really be able to tell you much about the essence of Iboga. You said there is kind of a stark difference between, let's say, ayahuasca and 5-MeO. Can you explain, based on your experience, what those differences are? For sure. Yeah. Well, there's most definitely a more significant purgative effect with ayahuasca in a very visceral kind of a way. It can be a really uncomfortable experience. And I think one of the big teachings that comes through there is being able to hold our center and be kind of equanimous in the midst of profound discomfort. I feel like sometimes she's emissary of the earth, this aspect of the divine feminine, a goddess in, in her own right that holds all of the archetypes of that in terms of maiden, mother, and crone. And mm-hmm. that is very much a grandmotherly essence. And I feel like I learned a lot about what it means to honor one's mother and to honor mm-hmm you know, the mother of all things mm. uh, through my work with ayahuasca. Those journeys are five to six hours. Yes, yeah, certainly there's opportunity to interact. There's almost more like choice in the surrender that one is being invited into, a little more kind of participation in that unfolding. Right. And with teaching ayahuasca. With ayahuasca, yeah. Whereas with the 5-MEO, I think people fight it and that can turn into a, a pretty traumatic experience. So a lot of the preparation is a really a valuable thing and being discerning around uh, the timing and everything. Surrender is not really an option there. It's like, poof, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> like immediately and then the 15 minutes and then you're out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess with the ayahuasca as well, there's so much learning about the interconnectivity of all things through working with her as well. And lots of visionary sort of putting pieces together of the puzzle of our life, things different will land and we'll get some insights, some inspiration, a lot of really beautiful creativity can emerge through working with ayahuasca in a way that's like more integrative. I think it's really hard to integrate paradise. (laughs) (laughs) And even hard to articulate, right? Mm -hmm. That sometimes there are no words to actually explain what that experience was like. Mm-hmm. What were some of the insights that you received while you were in your ayahuasca experiences? Was there anything that really came through that still to this day resonates for you and has guided the trajectory of your journey hmm. and your path? That's one line that I often quote that came to me. It was this idea of if you allow, 
-hmm. And there's that quality of surrender. Your being will naturally orchestrate itself into alignment. It's like tuning an instrument when we're kind of tuned up. The quality of our communication, the connection we have, being more anchored in the heart, this loving essence kind of comes through. And having that understanding of oneself also brings out this reflection of being able to understand mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, this compassion that comes through in there. You have such a calming presence. Did you always feel centered and grounded and at peace with yourself? So I'm wondering if this is your nature. Or if this is the result of all of these different medicine journeys that you've had up to this point. Hmm. Well, thanks for experiencing me that way. And I got to say, having a meditation practice has been, I think it meets the medicine work in an excellent way. It mm -hmm. serves navigating the immensity and the intensity. And I still have my moments of humanity where I lose my shit. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> You're so calm thinking, oh, I bet he never raises his voice. He never gets pissed. He never gets irritated. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, one of my biggest teachers right now is my son, the seven-year-old. He's teaching me a lot, too, about patience and holding space and coming from love and unearthing a lot of old patterns of my upbringing and all that stuff. But I sat a dozen or so of these 10-day silent meditation courses. And Adyashanti is another huge teacher that really informs the lens with which I approach this work. And uh, mm -hmm. meditation practice, I mean, they should be teaching this in school. Honestly, we get lots of emphasis in physical education. And much yeah. like going to the gym and lifting weights and making the body strong, um, I would say, if not more important, the practice of coming back to presence, being with the breath, being in the body, and deepening our awareness and to be able to not attach to the highs or be pushing away the lows, but being centered in the truth of impermanence, this too shall pass. And I think all of that has, has served my work with the plants really well. And so I put that encouragement forth to anyone and everyone kind of considering this work as much as you can just be in the simple practice of presence with your breath. Nature is a great way of helping us to drop in as well. Whatever that practice is for you will support your work with the entheogens and the plants. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in terms of meditation. It's interesting because I grew up with meditation because my parents are Buddhists. We mm -hmm. went to temple on Sundays. But it's one of those things that I do feel like, especially in the American culture, it's been commercialized and co-opted. So then people feel like it's a task that they have to accomplish a checkoff list every day. And I think people feel like, well, if I can't fully clear my mind as I'm meditating, that I'm doing it wrong. There's this kind of right and wrong method to do it. And I think that's what really turns people off of it. Like they'll attempt it. And then it's like, oh, I couldn't quiet my mind. So I'm not going to do this at all. Rather oh. than embracing it as a, it is a practice. It really is. And talk about your brain running in 500 million directions. That's me. And that's probably everybody, but also giving yourself the, the grace to say, it's okay. Just have thoughts that come in and out. I agree with you. I think meditation really should be taught even at a very young age, but I think because of this Western mentality of doing rather than being, and then it feels like it's a competition we're like, I can meditate for 30 minutes. I can do it for an hour. So then, rather than it just being a very personal thing that you do, 
You don't have to announce it to everybody. You don't have to compare yourself. So it is very interesting how a lot of the Eastern practices, now that it's just in the daily routines for a lot of people in the Western part of the world, that it has become this kind of commercialized, I don't know. There's something about it that sometimes doesn't feel very genuine, to be honest with you. It feels like a money grab. Yeah, I think there's also like a glorification of this ego death thing and the idea that you have to stop your thoughts or get beyond your thoughts. And if anyone out there has managed to seize their thinking, please reach out. I'd love to meet you. (laughs) Absolutely. Then they need to definitely put it into an app and market it in some way. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I mean, yoga in a certain sense could be said to be a a similar kind of thing in that commoditization of these practices. Well, I think one thing for me is I've really immersed into meditation. What I feel like I've come to realize, and probably many people do, is that every moment is an opportunity of of meditation. Our life is a continuous self-reflection, self-observation. Life is really a mirror. We're continuously being shown, you know, what the state of our inner affairs is. Yeah. But if it becomes like an imposition or an obligation or something that we feel like we have to do, it lose the thread on what it's really about. I definitely found that after I had my first psilocybin journey that I could not wait to, me- to meditate. I wanted to meditate. It's almost like my body craved it after you have a specific journey with um, a plant medicine. Mm-hmm. It's like you have that halo effect. And so you feel so connected and so open that you want to continue to experience it for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like it could potentially be a gateway for a lot of people is that if they are open to some sort of medicine experience, whether it's plant or synthetic based, that it could potentially open them up in a way that maybe they had not thought that they were capable of. Yeah, for sure. I think it also can really economize our, our energies, this principle from Buddhism of, of right effort and how the, the monkey mind really just consumes so much energy. There's this beautiful piece that I like to play. There's a Rinpoche who talks about giving rest to this exhausted mind, sort of beaten relentlessly by karma and neurotic thoughts. And so much of it is just being able to just relax into ourselves. I know it's so hard to do. Again, it's like easier said than done sometimes. So Chris, if you could share one final thought with anybody who may be listening or watching, if they are um, potentially uh, contemplating or just curious about exploring psychedelics for therapeutic use, what would you like to share? Hmm. Well, good for you. Be discerning. You take your time. And I say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I'd say putting... Some good effort into preparing well is going to really serve your integration process and setting yourself up. The journey is one thing, but this is about unlocking an an ongoing and unfolding process that will continue to play out. And how are you going to think forward beyond the experience itself in terms of of what you're coming to this for and, and what you'd like to see change and being willing to be surprised by what comes? Well, Chris, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's been really fun and wonderful to get to know you. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing your experiences and being so vulnerable about sharing your journey 
and that it continues on. Oh, well, thanks, Nim. Really lovely to meet you and so much gratitude for creating this opportunity for people to share and to destigmatize these profound uh, opportunities for our growth and healing. Thank you so much. I will definitely talk to you soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. Take care. Ciao, man. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Your support means a lot to me, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so let me know what resonates for you. Until next time, take care.